I love that video watching kids try to figure out what they think of as an old-fashioned phone or an old-timey phone, especially the part where they, where they try to figure out how to text on it. And uh, I don't know if you've seen a phone like that lately, but I have one up here today, a rotary phone or a, a dial phone. Uh, by the time I was a kid, even these were becoming obsolete, but, but every once in a while, I would run across one of these, and I would find they would be so much fun to play with, right? These were the phones where it took 45 seconds to make a call, and the likelihood of dialing a wrong number on this is one out of three calls, I feel like. And, and uh, uh, for those of you who are under 35, maybe it's worth knowing you never seen one of these. These are why we call it dialing. Phones actually used to have dials. Did you know that? Uh, phones have come a long way, though, haven't they? And now we have the iPhone and the Pixel and the Galaxy. Uh, most people have cut their home phone off. They don't need it anymore. You can, you, you can call them on their cell. It's hard to believe there was a time when phone calls were made on something like this. This is an old phone from around 1900. And these are the phones you would pick up the earpiece on the left and you would turn the crank on the right and an operator would answer on the other end and you would ask them to connect you to whoever it was you were trying to call. Can you believe that we went from that to this? I was talking to a friend a little while ago, and she told me that recently she was running into a store with her daughters. It was one of those days it was pouring down rain here, kind of like it was yesterday, actually, coming down hard, and her four-year-old saw a payphone out on the sidewalk in front of a store, and her four-year-old just started laughing. She could not believe somebody would put a phone on the sidewalk, and she said, Mom, I want to pose for a picture with the phone. And so they took a picture, and then she said, Mom, I want to touch the phone. And her mom said, yeah, we don't touch those phones. <laughs> and then they, they quickly went inside. Well, I, I bring all of this up about phones and how much they've changed over the years because I think something is very true. I think every one of us here has been waiting for a phone call where someone says, there is something out there that needs to be done, and we think you are the person who can do it. I think that there is a part of each of us that needs to know we've been created for something more, something greater than what we currently do, and that someday God is going to call us and tell us what that thing is. And as dramatic as that sounds, that is what this new series is about. A call to you that God is placing in your life. I, I am convinced somewhere inside you, you know that there is a greater design and plan that he has in mind for you than just being here. And for many of us, the thing we've been looking for to help us figure out what that is, is a call. Problem is, I think many of us have been waiting for a call and wondering why it hasn't come. And we look at the Bible and we wonder, if calls changed does God not call the way that he used to call? Are the days of calling over, or are they just reserved for a few really special people in this world? Well, I want to tell you today, no. While phone technology has changed over the years, one thing that has not changed is God's calling. Sometimes he calls us to big things that change our next 20 or 30 years. Sometimes he calls us to little things that change the next five minutes. Sometimes he calls us early in life. Sometimes he calls us late, never too late. He does still call people today just as much as he ever did in the Bible. I just think we may not hear our phones ringing. And so this morning, I, I want to kick off this series with you. Now hear this that talks to us about where and what and when God might be calling. 
Today I want to look at a few calls in the Bible with you, and I want to ask you to pay especially close attention because your phone may be ringing. By the way, this may be the one morning in the history of our church that if your phone rings in the middle of the service, I don't mind if you answer it. (laughs) This might be the call you've been waiting for. We're going to look at a few different ways that that God calls in the Bible. And as we look at them, I'm going to share a little of my own calls over my life, if that's okay. And and then I'm going to ask you as we go through this to consider your own, all right? First call we're going to look at this morning is what's maybe the most famous call in the Bible. And it came in the form of a burning bush. You might know the story of Moses, a man who has fled Egypt. He just killed someone. He doesn't feel worthy of leading much of anything other than a flock of sheep out in the fields. But he's tending his sheep one day, and he comes across a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. And, and check this out, Exodus 3, we'll take a look. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Moses hears the voice of God and he says, here I am. And so he goes to the bush. He takes his sandals off because he's on holy ground. And God says to him, Moses, I have seen the oppression of my people. They've become slaves. I I, I hear their cries and I am calling you to lead them out of Egypt to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. But look at verse 11. Moses says, who am I? And God says to him, I will be with you. In fact, in verse 11, Moses says, who am I? And in verse 14, God says, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. I am who I am. Another message for another day, but this is such a moment, God calling through a clear, direct, one-on-one invitation to do something for him. Let me ask you, have you ever felt that? Personally, I've not seen a burning bush. I've not heard an audible voice of God, but I have had that kind of moment, a clear, direct, one-on-one invitation. Um, I grew up in a small church outside Chicago, and while I learned a lot about the Bible there, and a lot about God, and a lot about traditional church, I did not learn a lot about grace. Uh, One of the things I love about Crosswinds, it would be hard to go here one week and not hear the story of a God who so loves lost people, he'd go on an all-out search to rescue them, bring them to him, but me in that church as a kid, while I had made the decision at a young age to ask for forgiveness of my sins, as I grew up there, I thought that to continue to get God to love me, I had to earn it. I'll tell you, this church is pretty legalistic. I remember one Sunday being in a Sunday school class. Uh, The teacher was this guy who was in his 50s, and I was probably fifth or sixth grade. And I remember one Sunday I was like fighting with a kid. We were kind of wrestling. And as we were fighting, what came out of my mouth were the words, son of a gun. I said gun. I actually said gun. But this guy, he heard me say son of a gun. Not son of a bee, son of a gun. And this teacher took me to the bathroom and washed my mouth out with soap on a Sunday morning while my parents were both in the service. We would never do that to your kids, (laughs) even if you ask us to. (laughs) So I grew up there believing I had to do enough good things to convince God to stay close to me. Well, 
in high school, as I, I got a little bit more freedom and, and a lot more interested in other things, I started to get exhausted at how much effort it took to keep God loving me. It is hard to sustain flawless obedience, right? What usually happens is you fake it. You fake obedience all the while hiding the fact that you're doing the very things you're pretending you're not. And that was so exhausting to me. I walked away from God. I just gave up. I said, if I cannot do this well, then I just won't do it. I'll stop pretending and I'll go without God and I am done. Okay, sometimes I speak of that old church in some not so flattering terms, but there was at least one good thing that came out of it. While I didn't understand his love, I did know what it was to have God in my life. And so a few years later, my senior year of high school, I realized something was missing. I was missing God. Yes, I had had a pretty messed up view of God and his love prior to that, but, but at least I had a relationship with him, and now he was not part of my life at all. And I decided I need to go back to church. But the church I had grown up in would not be the place to try and get this figured out. And still being in quite the rebel stage, I ended up going to a church that my old church hated. <laughs> in fact, people in my old church were very clear that it was a cult, it was a church just down the road from my house in the suburbs, about five minutes away from where I lived. And I'd always heard, that is the place you are not supposed to go if you're a real Christian. And, and so I thought, maybe that's where I might figure out something different about God. By the way, that church was the church that our founding pastor, John Merritt, went to in 1987 and started getting a vision to build a place like it called Crosswinds here on the West Coast. The first Sunday I went to a service, it was so different. They had electric guitars and drums and video screens and everything that people at my church would have said a church should never have. There was a lot about it stylistically that was new to me, but more than any of that, what I heard the very first week was that there was a God who would love and forgive me in spite of anything I could ever do. And I learned, I learned that my salvation was not dependent on how well I followed without screwing up. It was not even dependent on me, it was dependent on God's faithfulness. And something changed in me that day. Later that year, it was my high school graduation ceremony and I was, I was sitting in what felt like an endless sea of chairs on a football field, waiting for them to call my name. It's a big high school, I was gonna be waiting a long time. It was early June, I had my summer planned, I knew I would hang out with my friends and, and one last hurrah, and then go off to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, where I would be a radio and television broadcasting major. I was so excited, I could not wait. That's what I was supposed to do with my life, sit and interview people and put on a good show. And I sat on the football field, waiting for my name to be called and watching the line of people get their diplomas one by one. And I heard God say, and not audibly, not out loud, just this clear, voice of God in my head, I heard God say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You had a profound experience of my love and my grace that most people have not had. You are on a football field full of kids who do not know me. Chris, I did not design you so you could use your gifts entertaining people. There's plenty of that. I made you to tell people about me, Chris, you need to change your plans. The very next day, I went out to this big forest preserve that was near my house called Crabtree Nature Center. And I spent hours there walking 
and talking with God. How, how do I change my plans? I'm already going to drink. I'm already enrolled. Like my tuition check is due next week. And what do I tell my parents? God, have you seen my dad, this big, unspiritual Italian guy? And God, where am I going to go to college? I've not applied to Christian schools, which means I've not been accepted into any Christian schools. And we are way past the date to begin enrollment. And beyond that, I'm a kid who just graduated high school. I don't know how to tell people about you. But I heard God say, I mean, no burning bush, no audible voice, just the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. I heard him say, I am who I am. These are not problems for me. I went home and told my parents specifically, I remember telling my dad that, that I was being called to do something else and him being surprisingly open, miraculously open. In fact, get this, my dad said, where do you think God's telling you to go to school? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I think God told me Wheaton College. Uh, for those of you who don't know a lot about Christian colleges, Wheaton is a very good, hard-to-get-into Christian school. Stupid for me to even think on June 8th that I could just decide to go there. Like, just decide, I'll go there. But my dad, of all people, called them up on the phone, and he said, my son is telling them that uh, God is calling them to go to your school. <laughs> and um, <laughs> because God is who he is, they were willing to take a very late application from me and talk with me. And, and here's the most fascinating part to me about this call to ministry. That same week, I went to the church I've been telling you about. I went to my leader there in the youth ministry, and I said, I'm feeling like God is calling me to stay in the area, go to college around here, and actually go into ministry? And he said, I have been praying that God would bring us someone to come on our team and help lead students from your old high school. Okay, this was a massive church. Students from my high school alone was like 200 kids in that youth ministry. And so for the next four years, I spent as much time at that church as I did at college, if not more, telling kids at my old high school about the love and grace of God in a way that I never did when I went there. Those four years were the most significant years in me learning to respond to God's direct one-on-one -on -one invitation. And so I'll just ask you, is it possible that God has been calling you to something other than what you have planned for you? Is it possible he's patiently waiting for you to listen and just in the nick of time you could answer the phone and do his much better, much more fulfilling plan instead. There's another way that God calls I want to look at with you. This one is in 1 Samuel. God says to Samuel, there's going to be a new king, and I want you to go find him. But find him doesn't mean like, Samuel, go pick a new king for me. Find him means God's got somebody in mind. Samuel, I need you to go recognize him. And God tells him, the person I have in mind is a son of Jesse. God's talking about David. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, he finds Jesse, he says, let me see your sons. None of the ones that are presented are the right one. And Samuel does not know what to do. So he asks Jesse one more time, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So they get David and David comes into the room and God tells Samuel, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. 
And it is in that moment that a very unaware David, who had just been out in the fields tending sheep, who as far as we know, was not aspiring to anything other than what he was doing, has someone else recognize God's specific calling on his life. And this is another way that God calls us. He can call you through speaking about you to another person. And I've had this type of experience in my life. Um, just fast forwarding a little bit into my story, I jumped into ministry and, and I wasn't sure what role I was supposed to play long term. The thing is, when you're a college student, you tend to do youth ministry because kids are about the only people who are willing to listen to you, right? But since then, I've been a singles pastor and a teaching pastor, a church planner, a creative arts pastor. That's the person who plans services like these. And to be very honest, for a long period of time in my life, I did not think that a senior pastor was anything that I would ever want to be. See, I had been in churches where there was a certain kind of person that fit that role. And my experience of that kind of person was often, eh, they were a little bit of a jerk. There was a weird ego thing. And sometimes there's a cult of personality in those churches and just a bizarre God complex. And I thought, why would I want to be that guy? If that's what successful senior pastoring looks like, no thank you. And so 20 years ago, I moved to Las Vegas to join a church that was the healthiest church I've ever been a part of. Just an incredibly healthy staff filled with, with character, people in leadership who had such character, and a, and a guy who is the senior pastor that is not at all like the people I'm explaining to you. And, and actually, it was only several months into my time there, not very long, that one of the other pastors said, Chris, I think you're supposed to be a senior pastor someday. And I remember saying, I don't think so. I, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. This creative arts pastor role and teaching, this will be just fine for me. I was confident. My first year went by, and we did yearly staff evaluations. And as is the case at a lot of places where you work, we did self-evaluations as part of that. And at that point, at that church, at the end of the evaluation is a question with a, a, a wonderful question. We ask it around here as well. What do you think God might be telling you he wants you to do in the future? Where do you think God might be wanting you in ministry in five years? The first year I had to write an answer to that question, here is what I wrote, exactly this. I have no idea, I don't know, I'm not sure how to answer this. And while I didn't know, I didn't know, it was very hazy on my future, my friends and my co-pastors did. And they would say, we think God is calling you to be the senior leader in a church. And God was calling me through telling them took me two or three years to believe them and, and to begin to take a long look at where God might want me to explore what that might look like. But the only reason I did was because God called through someone else. And I'll just ask you again, is God calling you? You know, you've been waiting for him to show you something and you're saying, I honestly don't know what God wants me to be doing. And he has been talking, it's just through a friend or someone else in your life. What is God saying to you through other people? By the way, this is why we so value small groups around here. We talk about them so much because these people might be the people that God eventually uses to speak potential into your life. Okay, one more call in scripture I wanna look at with you today. And it's actually in the story of a woman named Esther. 
Now, I love this story. Someday we'll give the whole morning to Esther. We don't have that much time right now. But she is a woman who has been made the queen to a very scary king who has been convinced by his advisors to kill God's people. Genocide. But here's the deal. The king doesn't know that this woman that he's picked to be his queen is Jewish. One of the very people he's trying to kill. He's plotting to kill. Her cousin Mordecai finds out about this plot and he goes to the queen and he says this. He says, you have the power to approach your husband. You can convince him to stop this. But she says, no, I'm afraid. He is a tough man. He banished his last queen over something relatively small. I'm afraid to take that risk. Mordecai, don't you know that anyone who approaches the king without an invite will be put to death? I can't do this. So Mordecai hears her, and he says back to Esther, look at chapter 4, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. Let me skip down. Esther, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Would you do me a favor? Turn to someone sitting next to you, look them in the eye, and say that phrase, for such a time as this. Let's try that together right now. I'm going to give you five seconds to do it. For such a time as this. I love that phrase. It is so poetic, and it is so majestic sounding, but can I make it a little bit more pedestrian? For a moment like now. Who knows that God has not brought you through all that he's brought you through so he can use you right now. Esther got the phone call. And get this, her call had more to do with with, with who she had been and where she was presently than it ever had to do with where she would go. Could it be you are where you are because God put you there for a moment like this? now. That God's call is happening right now, and you can know it through his timing. See, sometimes God's call is not about the future nearly as much as it's about your past and your present. It is about your now. Did you grow up where you grew up? Did you work at a job that you worked at? Did you live through a crisis you lived through? Did you have your heart broken, money stolen, hope shattered, faith shaken for such a time as this? And I'll ask you, where are you now that makes you ideal to solve a problem, to meet a need? It's God calling because you live next door to the person you live next door to, or because your job gives you the influence you have in our community, or you're on a plane next to the person you're on a plane with for a moment like now. So many of us are waiting for the phone call, wondering what God wants us to do someday in the future, and God is saying, the future that I have planned for you has arrived. The moment is now. Ultimately, Esther takes the risk, and she saves her people. A little over 16 years ago, I I was sitting in a restaurant with the founding pastor of Crosswinds after teaching here on a Sunday. I remember the message. It had to do with filters. If if you were here that day, you walked out of our service with a coffee filter you scribbled notes on, and, and we went to lunch. And we clicked right away. He was not the jerky senior pastor I had met at times throughout my life. And, and we sat at lunch, and we talked about where God might be calling me. And Crosswinds was looking for a teaching pastor. 
And I said, John, I really love teaching, and I, I like Crosswinds, what I've seen of it, and I like you and the team, but I'm not entirely sure why we're sitting here. Because the calling that I am feeling from God through my conversations with him and through my conversations with others, I think I'm supposed to go be a senior pastor somewhere. And John said, I think you probably are too. But who knows that God might not be calling you to Crosswinds to teach right now, and then after a few years, we send you out to senior pastor somewhere else, or who knows, maybe even do it here. I left, and I went home and, and talked to Andrea, and I said, this church feels so right, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. I wonder if God might not be putting us someplace now to call us to something that is yet to happen. Could he be putting us someplace so that someday he can say, for such a time as this, for a moment like now? I would talk to other friends who were pastors and they would say, are you crazy? Why would you go do this teaching pastor role first? This is not what you're called to. Like nine times out of 10, this does not work well. Transitions go very wrong. And all I could say was, I think God might be doing something later that he's wanting to prepare me for right now. And I joined Crosswinds, and a few years later, I had the privilege of my life to become your senior pastor. And I'll tell you, I have continued, I've always continued listening and looking for where God might be preparing something now for a future he has, because God's calling doesn't ever stop. Your phone is always ringing, which brings me to today. 16 years after my start here at Crosswinds, I feel like God is calling me again. Uh, God is calling me to something that requires me transitioning out of my role as your senior pastor. Not away from this church. I, I hope I'm part of Crosswinds for the rest of my life, but I have been hearing God call all three of those ways that he has something else in mind right now. I gotta tell you, I've never been more nervous in my life than I am sharing this with you. I, I think I, uh, I so don't wanna disappoint you. Um, if you'll let me, I just, I wanna explain a little bit of what's going on inside me, all right? I, I've been a pastor about 30 years, and one of the things that has been especially prominent in my time has been the amount of pastors that I have worked with who, uh, have not been able to be pastors 30 years, or 20, or even 10. Being a pastor is hard, and, and I have watched many, many people who are called by God, as we've been talking about today, pastors, ministry leaders, I have gotten close to them only to watch them either be forced away or step away from ministry as a result of, of choices they make or things they experience out of a depleted soul. Can I, can I just, you know, in 30 years, I have watched way too many pastors' marriages fall apart. And I've watched pastors secretly hide addiction. I've watched more than I can count have emotional breakdowns over dealing with toxic church environments, usually boards or bosses. I feel like I've worked with at least 20 who find themselves having questions and doubts about their faith, as many of you do, but, but because they're pastors, they don't feel like it's safe to talk about those. They, they have to put on a front. And it's to say what makes this so hard for pastors, both men and women, so many are leading from a place where their souls 
are depleted. I, I don't talk about this a lot because it feels like it's a little bit inside baseball, but every time I've encountered that in the churches I've been a part of, it has been painful for me to go through that with people, to clean up the aftermath. It, it's gotta be the hardest part of being a pastor, watching people that you know God called. It's not like they're faking it. It's not like they're playing at ministry. They're gifted and passionate. The most painful part for me is watching those people lose their way. Well, about eight years ago, I got invited to participate in a cohort of pastors through a ministry called Wellspring. Some of you have heard of it because we partner with them around here quite a bit. Uh, among other things they do, one of the main things is this cohort they call Soul Care for senior pastors uh, or other executive level ministry leaders. And, and I won't go into all that, that it looks like to be a pastor in that cohort for the sake of time today, but I'll just tell you this. No one had ever played a pure of heart role in caring for me and my soul as a pastor until Wellspring. At that point, 22 years and I don't mean to say people didn't care until then. I, I've always had lovely, wonderful, caring people around me. I mean caring for me and my soul, pastoring me, a pastor. And I've shared this here before, but, but that year I went through soul care was the most filling year of my life as a pastor. It changed everything. It was so good that the following year I was like, would you guys let Andrea go through this? And they said, yes. And then the following year, I said, I know this is primarily like senior pastors, but would you let Jody go through this? I know she's not a senior pastor, but like she leads the church with me. She's a much better leader than me. And they said, yes. And then the next year I said, how about Derek? Would you let Derek go through this? And they said, yes. My goal was to get every pastor on our staff through this program because I know the impact that it can make. I, I, don't, I didn't want any more pastors that I knew or I worked with to become a casualty of bad choices out of soul depletion. And I, I tell you that because they usually only take 25 pastors a year from all over the state. Like this year that we're in, they had over 130 apply. They had to turn over 100 pastors away. But they've treated Crosswinds so kindly and always said yes to caring for us. If you think our church is healthy, it's because we've got some healthy pastors who've had their souls cared for by Wellspring. Can I show you something? About six months ago, Wellspring surveyed the, the over 400 pastors that have been through their soul care cohort to try and get an understanding of its impact. And among the results, they found that only 54% of pastors said, I feel seen and loved by God before their time in soul care. Does that surprise you? That surprises me. What didn't surprise me was that pastors who had been in soul care any time in the past 15 years, which is as long as they've been doing it, when asked if they feel seen and loved by God after soul care, after 97% said they do frequently or consistently. When asked if they prioritize their spiritual health and consider it central to their leadership effectiveness, only 38% of pastors would say that's a consistent thing prior to soul care. After 97%. When asked if they have practices in place that sustain their spiritual health and allow them to serve their church with a sense of abundance before soul care, 25% of pastors, that's it, that would say they do after 96%. Okay, this 
is why I have been so grateful to Wellspring for my own experience and for letting my friends be a part of their cohorts too. Well, many of you know, two summers ago, I had a sabbatical. And one of the things that I did on my sabbatical was I asked that same old question. God, what are you calling me to do in five years? Or in my case, it was 10 years, because I so love Crosswinds and the role that I play here. I thought, I'll be your senior pastor until you decide you will not have me anymore, and I am too old to be helpful. I was turning 50 that summer, and I said, God, when I hit my 60s, Crosswinds is going to wisely say, we need a younger senior pastor so that we can continue to reach young families. Thanks for the time, Chris. We'll see you. And I said, God, what is it that you might have in, in store when that time comes? And the calling that I sensed that God had for me in the future, 10 years from now, was that he wanted me to step into something like what Wellspring does, caring for the souls of pastors. And I said, great God, then I'll just keep doing what I'm doing at Crosswinds. In 10 years from now, maybe more, I will spend my last chapter of ministry doing something like that on into my retirement. And that was it, until a year later. Patty Pierce, who is the founder of Wellspring, Patty and I went to lunch, we do that once in a while, usually, it's me trying to convince them to expand and offer soul care in, in more places for more pastors. Um, I'm an idea person. I give them lots of bad ideas, and they always say no to them. Uh, Patty's a few decades older than me, and she said, Chris, it is time for myself and Terry, who's one of the other senior partners that has been there a very long time. It's time for us to step back from being the primary leaders of this organization. The last few years, we've been looking for who God might bring in to succeed us in this kind of managing role. And, and we feel like God has brought your name to mind multiple times, but we've not approached you these past few years because we love crosswinds. And we know that you love crosswinds and we haven't wanted to do anything that might pull you away or mess with this church that we love. But we're at the end of our timeline in this search. We've told our board that we're gonna start stepping back from managing this, and we need this new managing partner now. And we just wanna ask, is there any way that you would consider this? And I said, I am honored, but I love Crosswinds, and I love my job. I have the greatest job in the world at the greatest church, and if this were like 10 years from now, maybe, but I doubt that God is calling me away just yet. And I don't quite remember what Patty said, but it was to the effect that they don't have 10 years. They need someone for a moment like now. And after some back and forth, I politely lied to Patty and I told her I would consider it, <laughs> but that I doubted that I was the right person. And then I said even more, I care about Wellspring so much. Put me on your search team. Let me help you find the right person. I care enough to make sure this ministry does not go away. Let me help you find this leader. And we went our separate ways and I went home and because it was my day off, Andrea was doing some lead bold stuff here at the church and Kennedy was in school. I went for a walk around my neighborhood and I prayed and I said, God, would you help me know who the right person is for Wellspring? And not just the right person, like God put a name in my mind, but God, would you help me think about vision and Wellspring's future so that I can think of what kind of person might best lead it towards that? In Crosswinds, as you've already heard today, I do a lot of thinking and dreaming and praying and planning while I'm walking. But 30 minutes into that walk, I had a very clear understanding 
of the possible directions that God might want Wellspring to go, who the leader might need to be, and I had a clear sense that maybe it was supposed to be me. Can I tell you one of the most significant things that hit me? Maybe God's calling doesn't always come because you're feeling pushed away from the thing that you're doing or the place that you are. If I am waiting to dislike Crosswinds and my job and our team and the mission and the impact of this church, then I will never leave. Maybe I'll never hear God's voice driving me away from Crosswinds. Maybe another way that God calls you is by helping you see that something else needs you right now. This was in June, and over the course of about five months, God has confirmed that in me even more. And with Wellspring and their board, with with Andrea and with Jody and with our elders here, and I'm telling you today, because I'm gonna start transitioning out of my role. (sighs) I'm gonna start transitioning out of my role uh, as senior pastor of Crosswinds and into the role of managing partner at Wellspring. I think that God has a new chapter for me that involves me caring for the souls of pastors and ministry leaders in a way that for the last eight years someone has for me. And I think that God has a new chapter for Wellspring in in taking what impacts 25 or 30 or 35 pastors a year and expanding it so we can help far more pastors and then in return, far more churches. Now there's a lot of questions that raises and I'm gonna let our associate pastor, Jody Tay, speak to those on behalf of our elders. Jody's on our elder board. Lots of questions and we have lots of answers, but just three that I I would love to answer personally. Um, When? When will this transition happen? We don't know. We've begun our search, we're well into it, and still, that doesn't mean we're gonna have a new senior pastor by the end of next week, right? If we're hiring someone good, they're likely somewhere where they will not just give two weeks notice, right? Senior pastors don't do that. They give two months or six months notice. So I am here, I am teaching, I am leading all the way through until we find this person. And even then, one of the greatest gifts that I got from our founding pastor was a season where we both got to lead together. I have every intention of giving that same thing to our next senior pastor. So I am not telling you that as of today, I'm out. I'm gonna be here a long time, I don't know how long, but you will be sick of me by the time the new person comes. I'm telling you this now because we're really transparent and we want you to be in the loop on what is happening at your church. And I'm telling you this because in the same way, we're gonna slowly transition my role to someone else. I am starting right now to transition to a new role somewhere else. I'm gonna be splitting time for the foreseeable future. And I want you to know I'm a little less available than I was two weeks ago. And finally, I'm telling you, because I I wanna ask you to be praying for this person that God is calling, just as he called me here 16 years ago. All right, second question, am I gonna go to another church? No, this is my church home. I cannot think of any place I would rather be in the world than at Crosswinds, legitimately. The mission of this place is so special and so unique, and the leaders that God has brought here, special and unique, and I wanna give the new person time and space, so you know the former guy's not hanging around all the time, but long term, while I have been your pastor, you have been my church family, and that is not changing. 
and I'll be as involved as the leaders of this church are comfortable having me be involved in the future. I would consider it a privilege to teach from time to time. I'd consider it a privilege to sit next to you in those seats. And finally, the biggest question that you have all been asking, I know you've been asking this in your heads the last 15 minutes. We don't care about you, Chris. What about Andrea? (laughs) Will she continue to be a pastor and teacher? And the answer to that is 100% yes. God is, sure, yeah. Uh, God's calling me to this new role, but Andrea, you know, she has her own call, and it is still to be a pastor and lead and teach here at Crosswinds. Uh, We've been married 25 years now. We met in seminary where we were both studying to be pastors. We, we actually both worked on, on staff at a church when we first started dating. She was the youth pastor. I was the singles pastor. Um, tell you what, you have not seen sparks until you've seen seminary students on a date to Jamba Juice. <laughs> now, while I, I've been on staff 16 years, uh, Andrea's been on staff here 15, with tons of education and experience and giftedness of her own, as you know. And, and, and she never worked here because she's my wife. This was Crosswinds recognizing a call and installing someone in leadership I think many churches would love to have. So Andrea is staying as your teaching pastor. Um, Jody's gonna come up and, and say a few words on behalf of the elders. And then I've asked our chair of the board, Kyle Champlin, to come up and pray. And, and, and before they do, can I just, Crosswinds, today is not goodbye. There'll be another day in the distant future where I get to say that a little more thoroughly, but. This is important. I wanted to be sure to say this to you. I still believe the local church is the hope of the world. I do. And I still believe Crosswinds has a very unique place in bringing Jesus to people and being that hope. I I have always felt like there's nothing like God's church when it's working right. And it's working right has never been dependent on me or any one person's involvement. It is dependent on all of us saying yes to this call that God has put on all of us. So as I begin a transition here, I want to ask you to say yes to this call that God has put on you. In a world that is lost and in hiding, would you still answer this call to shine a light? As as we are surrounded by those who are broken and hungry and desperate, would you extend God's overwhelming generosity so people can know his love? Would you comfort the grieving? Would you bring community to the lonely? Would you model peace and unity for the polarized and the divided in our world? Would you build bridges to lost people who think God wants nothing to do with them? Would you continue to open your arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned crosswinds? When you do that, when this church does that for 16 years, I've watched it, the beauty of it is indescribable. The power of it is breathtaking. Your potential is unlimited. I still believe that the work that God is calling you to today and still calling me just in a different role is to be hope for the world right now. So can I get a yes? Yes. What do you think? Will you answer the call to being the hope as I join you from those seats instead of from this stage? All right, Jody.
the call before me right now is to speak to you without crying. And um, I'm going to try and do that. Um, But this is a big one, church, isn't it? It's big and surprising in the life uh, of any church. And I can imagine right now as you sit here this morning, you are equal parts excited for Chris and equal parts sad. And so that's okay. We're going to hold those emotions, both of those together this morning, and that's all right. Um, And I just want to reiterate a couple of things that Chris has already said, but just share with you some thoughts on behalf of the elder board. And first and foremost, I will say that we are so excited for you, Chris, and we support you 100%. And something that you already said is, this is not a push away from Crosswinds. I hope you heard that. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, having worked with Chris for 15 years and meeting once a week now, I think for the last 15 years, I know that he loves this church. And I think that if you call Crosswinds your church home, you know that too, don't you? Because of how he teaches and how he leads and how he has shepherded our community, your families, our our staff, that he loves this church. And so this is not a push away from crosswinds, but this is a pulling toward Wellspring. And I think um, as the elders started to hear a little bit about what God was doing inside of Chris, um, we began to see that um, he was and is the ideal person to kind of meet that need for Wellspring right now. And when you start to see that in someone and you know that God is brewing that in someone, you say, yes, we support you. We love you, we are, we are here for you, we have got your back, but you do everything that you can to kind of help that person walk down that path, and that is what our elders are going to do. And so we are excited for his, this opportunity that he has, and can I just say, Crosswinds, you know this is a unique church, right? Like you, you know that, we love this place. And can you imagine um, other pastors getting to sit under Chris's leadership? and his teaching, and what that will do for them as pastors, and what it will do for their churches, what it will do for the Bay. Yeah, you can absolutely applaud that. Applaud it. We get to witness that as a church, and we get to celebrate that that with him as he moves into this role um, with Wellspring. So um, that said, we are excited, but also sad. The this, this sadness is palpable this morning, isn't it? I'm doing a lot better than I did first service, you guys. It was messy. It was ugly. <laughs> I mean, it's sad. And the, and the loss will be great. Because again, chances are if you call Crosswinds your church home, it is because of how he has led here. Everything from how he teaches to how we, we use our church property. Um, again, how he has shepherded you. Um, so the loss is great. I don't think I need to go into any more detail about that this morning. You're feeling that the same as I am uh, this morning. But there are a couple things I think that bring some comfort um, to that sadness. Um, we are in a unique situation, again, that Chris is not being called to another church. He's being called to Wellspring, which is a nonprofit, which means, and I'm turning to you as I say this, this is your church home. This is your church home, and it always will be. Your fingerprint is all over this place. And uh, you almost have to make this your church home, Chris, because we will still have Andrea. So (laughs) you've got got to stay here. Um, And as Chris said, Andrea is not going anywhere. She um, is going to remain 
um, on staff as our teaching pastor. In fact, um, she's going to increase her leadership role here. And, um, you know, Andrea's contributions to the church are so invaluable. Everything from, from the way she teaches here to the way that she leads out in our creative arts department. And so our elder board is so excited to support her as she increases um, her leadership role here. And we're excited to see how God will continue to use her gifts as she shepherds and pastors here at Crosswinds. Um, the other thing that we're really excited about is um, that we still get to partner with Wellspring, which is where Chris is going. Um, during, during COVID, uh, Wellspring actually held their pastor's cohort that Chris was talking about, held it here on our campus. Um, we have helped host their Advent retreats here and their Lenten retreats here, and all of that are, th are things that we still want to continue to do. And then as uh, Wellspring expands, we hope that our partnership with Wellspring will continue to expand. So you're kind of going somewhere, but not going somewhere at the same time, Chris. Um, as Chris mentioned, we are engaged in an active search right now, and we are gonna keep you updated um, as that search goes on. Um, we are a unique church, right? I think we all know that, I said it already. Um, and it's gonna take a unique person to lead this church into the future, and that's gonna take some time. So it's not gonna happen overnight. This is gonna be a process. I will say that as we walk through this search process together that you're gonna see some people up here um, speaking on a Sunday, whom, people that might be persons that might be a candidate that we're looking at, but we also bring in guest speakers too as well, don't we, from time to time? And so we are still gonna do that. In fact, in a couple of weeks, um, one of Chris's new colleagues, Richard, Goddard is going to be here, and he's going to be speaking. You guys are going to love him. He is, he's fantastic. Not a candidate, but we will have candidates coming um, throughout the year. So we just want you to know that, too, as you see some new faces on our stage. Um, and just to reiterate, too, that Chris is going to be actively involved in this search process, okay? And even once that person comes, um, again, there's going to be some overlap between that individual and Chris. So this is not gonna be a speedy process for us. It's gonna be one that we are gonna to have to walk through together. Um, I know that as you're sitting here this morning that you've got questions, you've got some thoughts. And so we will be posting some ways for you to, to reach out to our elders and ask questions if you wanna do that. But um, one immediate way that you can do that is after the service today, we are gonna, our elders are gonna be out at Connection Corner Normally, that is where our pastors will be after a service, and if you're new, you can kind of come say hi to a pastor. But we're gonna repurpose that today um, so that our elders can be out there along with Chris and Andrea. And if you have any questions or thoughts or just wanna come by and give a hug, <laughs> you can do that after the service. So again, Connection Corner, our elders will be out there along with Chris and Andrea after the service. Sometimes I wonder if I was the right person to do this. <laughs> um, Crosswinds, you need to know that God loves this church. And you need to know that God loves you. He loves our staff. He loves our elder board. And he has given our church a mission in this world. And just because Chris is being called to Wellspring doesn't mean that those things won't happen. I'm telling you right now that if God is calling Chris toward Wellspring, he is also calling someone else to lead this church into the future. And we have to know that God will be faithful to that. He cannot be anything else but faithful to his church 
and he will be. And so that is the thing that I want us to hold on to this morning, that we will step out in faith as a church, just knowing that God will be faithful to us. That said, we invite you to be praying. Please be praying for Chris as he begins to kind of split his time between Crosswinds and Wellspring. Be praying for Andrea as she increases her leadership role here for their family. Please be praying for our elders as we engage in this search that God will give us wisdom and discernment for our staff as they shepherd the church. And can we all agree that we will be praying for each other, that we will be praying uh, for Crosswinds as we walk through this together? We are going to take a moment and we are going to pray together this morning. And I'm going to invite Kyle Champlin up. He um, is the chair of our elder board. And um, he has been strategic in, in walking us through this over the last few months. And you will continue to do so as we move into the future, Kyle. Good morning, church. Uh, so we can all just take a big, deep breath, I think. Uh, uh, as Jody talked to a few times, I think the most powerful thing we can often do when we're feeling all these swirling emotions is to just pray, to pray to our, our Father in heaven. So if you'll bow your heads and join me in prayer for this church. Father God, we are just grateful. We're grateful for how Chris has helped lead Crosswinds over these last 16 years. We're really grateful for Andrea, Quinn, and Kennedy, and we just rejoice right now knowing that the Coley family will continue to call Crosswinds their church home. God, I'm also grateful for Chris's heart of obedience. It is hard to be obedient in seasons like this. And God, I'm uh, thankful he listens to the Holy Spirit like we all strive to do. God, knowing Chris's deep love for this place, for this church body, I also know that he and Jody and Matt and the elder board and so many other folks are all praying like it depends on you, God, but we are taking action like it depends on us. And I invite this church family and this congregation to join us in that prayer and in that action. God, I pray that throughout this process, we are equal parts patient, generous, and discerning. I pray that this church community seeks your heart first, as we have always uh, strove to do. And first and foremost, I pray for a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And for our staff, our volunteers in this congregation, I pray all these things in your son's holy and risen name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Again, our elders, Chris and Andrea, will be out at Connection Corner. And if you need prayer this morning, our pastors will be up down, down front. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.